to the Employer Blueprint Podcast, where we help leaders build great teams for great companies with your host, entrepreneur and leadership coach, Kyle Gorman. One of the key indicators to successful organizations is a high-performing team, is having a great team within the organization. This is fairly universal that great companies have great teams. It's, it's, they automatically go together. It's just the way that it works. Uh, and there are a lot of things that can be done to help create these great teams, but there are certain patterns and traits that are seen in teams. And that's what our guest today, Karen Walker, is going to talk through is some of those patterns, some of those traits that high-performing teams have. So what I encourage you to do is, as you're listening to today's episode, and we're talking through some of those things, then pay attention to maybe the gaps that you have in your organization. See if if there are certain things that are discussed that you say, you know, I don't know that our team has that. And then figure out how you can fill in those gaps. How can you shore those up so that you can help work your way towards developing these high-performing teams? And understand what we're going to be talking about today is is not low-performing teams to getting them to average. We're talking about moving people from good to great, to getting them to that next level, to that next tier. One of the things that that is going to be touched on today is specifically the need to help people exit the organization. Because as Karen will explain, we are only as good as our weakest team member. And this can be a challenging thing for any business leader. Frankly, I think it should be a challenging thing. It shouldn't be easy to just move people out of the organization. However, we've got to understand this is part of our responsibility as a leader in the organization is to recognize this and to help someone move on. And the reality is uh, not only... Do the other team members recognize this person isn't performing well? They as an individual know that they're not performing as well. And your clients recognize they're not performing as well. So you are hurting the overall organization, the overall health of the organization and the reputation of your company by keeping people in. And there are good ways and and loving ways to help people move on from the organization, develop a solid uh, exit strategy. But... We're going to unpack a lot today as it relates to developing these high-performing teams. So think about the gaps you have in your company. How do you need to fill those gaps in? As always, if you have any questions, comments, remarks, anything that we can help with, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can email us at podcast at employerblueprint.com. Also, want to encourage you to subscribe to the show so you can get the latest episodes and uh, leave us a comment uh, there on iTunes or wherever you pick up your episodes. Thanks so much and have an amazing day. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us this week on the show. Uh, we've got Karen Walker with us, who uh, is a is a coach, uh, uh, a, a leadership coach, an executive coach, consultant, speaker, author. She's done so many things just to give back to the business community and, and be engaged and help people lead those around them. And so really looking forward to her sharing with us um, some of the tips and tricks of the trade. So Karen, thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, you know, why don't you just kind of walk us through your history and experience and and what has led you to where you are now. Oh, great place to start. Thanks. Uh, I am happy to be here today. I appreciate you having me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see. I can say um, I'm an engineer by degree, so I come at this work a little differently than many people who do what I do for a living. Um, I was very fortunate to um, 
early, very early in my career, um, I was I had an opportunity to work at a small startup. I was employee 104, which doesn't sound very small, but we didn't have any revenue yet and hadn't announced a product yet. And um, I was just joining people that I knew I thought a lot of that I had met at uh, our previous employer. And that company turned out to be the fastest growing company in American history of its time. Uh, we did $111 million in our first year. Uh, we did a um, billion dollars in five years. And by the time I left 14 years later, we were at about $15 billion and had gone from 104 employees to about 17,000. Wow. And so I was, as I say, very lucky to be there, right place, right time, and uh, sort of took the leap uh, to leave a bigger company and to go to the startup that um, just turned out to be sort of defining for, I think, mm -hmm. the, much of the rest of my life. That company turned out to be Compact Computer, which was ultimately assumed by um, by Hewlett-Packard maybe yeah. 20 years or so into its life. Wow. Uh, but I, I had the opportunity to sort of grow from uh, my party of one to a staff of about 300 people and mm -hmm. thousands of contractors and consultants worldwide. I was the vice president of all the physical infrastructure. So mm -hmm. I had a big job that was, uh, that I loved. And then eventually, you know, it was a giant company and I had sort of done that and wanted to try something else. So yeah. um, I left and uh, took some classes at Columbia. I met my now husband, who's a PhD psychologist. I'm an engineer, uh -huh. so we look at things a little differently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we learned from each other, and he was working with CEOs and helping them grow their companies. So we went into business together, and uh, he subsequently retired, but still my partner. Yeah. And uh, I've been doing it now for about 20 years. Wow, that's great. And you um, you spend a lot of time helping CEOs uh, mm -hmm. and kind of coaching them. And, and something that I do think is really important in that, and I think it's important for people to hear, especially, um, you know, for those out there, if you're early in your career, mm -hmm. it, yeah. You know, there is a lot of truth in the idea that it's that it's lonely at the top. And sometimes you feel like you're isolated and you're on a deserted island. And um, one of the things that I think is really important, and we talk a lot about on the show, is just the need for continued coaching and development and having mm -hmm. great people around you. And um, and so, uh, you know, Karen is one of those people. I mean, Karen, you obviously, you work with these CEOs that are in uh, some decent-sized companies that still know... Um, I need someone to help support me in my growth and, and how we uh, cast a vision, how we create the company culture that we want to develop and things like that. So, um, <clears throat> so for those that are maybe early in those stages, uh, I just want to take a second to remind you that you're not alone, that we've all kind of been there, but, um, but Karen, when you are working with uh, CEOs in this capacity and you're kind of serving as that executive coach, what are some of the common themes, the common threads that you see that they become most challenged with um, mm. as they navigate their career? Yeah, um, you know, I work with everybody from sort of first-time CEOs who have just gotten their very first bit of funding or yeah. you know, sort of just got the idea off the ground um, to CEOs that I've, I've worked with now at multiple companies over multiple years. So it's yeah. a pretty broad range. Um, but the work of being an advisor or sort of an executive advisor or, or executive coach to a CEO can take a lot of different forms. Um, typically, my clients use me for... Um, uh, for several things. One is just to have someone that they can talk to, right? So they can use me as sort of a sounding board or advocate or mm -hmm. they just want to think through things. Um, other times I get used, and this can all be by the same person, <laughs> I get used to sort of, you know, review the board deck, right? Mm -hmm. I was, 
how's this going to play with my board or uh, communications to employees about something, right? About yeah, I, yeah. Do I have any blind spots here? If I left anything out that, that people really need to hear. Um, I'll also work with them on sort of challenging issues around, around personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, I will um, uh, often work with my CEOs with their teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm making sure that people are really clear about what they need to do and why mm-hmm. and make, maintaining alignment around that. Um, and then, of course, getting into the, the work of team building, but it's never, you know, about the building of the team. I'm, I'm always happy to have a good functioning team. That's really yeah. important. But yeah. what's more important is what the team is able to do. Right. Uh, I think most uh, successful CEOs are uh, sort of hyper-focused on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and obviously, you know, that's a big passion area of ours is, is uh, making sure that we are um, helping business leaders out there develop great teams, not only in building them initially, but then developing them for the future. Yes. Uh, and, and you spend some time doing some executive team, uh, team development and, mm-hmm. and making sure, as you say, you know, not just having a team, but what do we do with that? Um, so when you are working with a company and helping develop that leadership team, uh, are there any particular roadblocks that you continue to see um, that, that can become major issues, you know, start out small, but then ultimately become major issues that can sometimes hit blind spots for the leader? Yeah, there are definitely some patterns that I think would be interesting (laughs) to talk about. Um, So one of the patterns is that we, as the company grows, all the employees will not grow with the company. Mm. And that can be really hard, right? Maybe you've got a co-founder, maybe you've got someone that's been there since day one in some capacity, um, and they either don't have the capability to grow uh, they don't have the desire to grow, right, or do do the things that need to be done. Or maybe they just need to be in a certain job at the organization, but it's no longer a senior team job, right? right. Um, and I will say the number one thing that, um, that senior leaders have said to me over the years regarding personnel is when they look back and I say, you know, what would you have done different in your career? Mm-hmm. It is, I would have let people go sooner. Mm-hmm. Because we, we struggle really hard to make people fit because we don't want to hurt their feelings or, you know, whatever. But, you know, when someone is not working out, everybody knows it. And yeah. uh, the person who's not working out also knows it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm a big fan of making sure there's there's clarity about sort of what's going on. That person is given a chance to do better, given support, right. you know, either coaching or other kinds of development. But if they're, you know, if they're not going to be the right person going forward, then you need to make a decision and move on. Mm-hmm. So that's one one pattern, right? Yeah. Um, the other pattern is sort of not looking far enough afield. Um, so we tend to hire people we know or people who are sort of in our sort of first circle. Yeah, and that's fine. You know, when you're growing really fast, you reach out to people that you can trust because you don't have time to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the companies get get larger, um, I think really putting effort into to bringing in different points of view, different expertise is important. Mm-hmm. And then I would say the, th- the third pattern that I see is that we, ha- we hire people who don't have skills for teaming. And that's completely common, right? We, we're all amazing individual contributors, so we wouldn't be successful. Right. Uh, so right. when you're hiring these successful people, often they have these great skills at being good at what they do, but maybe not so good at working cross-functionally or working as a team. Mm-hmm. And so that's pretty common, and that's completely repairable. Um, yeah. As long as you take the time for the team to focus on how it's working mm-hmm. so that you can get sort of maximal effectiveness out of that group of people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and something that's, uh, you know, within that, that I want to unpack just for a second, because mm-hmm. 
this is something that I um, experience and, and, and see quite a bit as, uh, as a challenge and, and something that I'm very passionate about is that need for developing leadership skills, developing management skills. And I often talk about in my coaching, I talk about that they're, you know, management's a craft. It's a craft in and of itself. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> and oftentimes we, uh, um, you know, we elevate people, you know, kind of through the Peter principle, we, we get them to that point of, um, uh, you know, where they're really no longer effective. And there's so much focus in business of learning the industry or learning the specific um, um, nuances within the industry or within a department, but not necessarily a huge focus on learning and developing the craft of management and the craft of leadership, which I think are somewhat, uh, you know, should be kind of somewhat separate, but, but learning those crafts of management and leadership. So when when you identify that within an organization that you have someone that maybe is very skilled and very knowledgeable um, for the department that they're in, but not necessarily um, all that uh, strong in the leadership skills that are going to be required to move forward, what are some things that you do or, or suggest either to the leadership of the company or even to those individual people to help them develop some of those skills? Uh, yeah, so it's not infrequent that I will, um, when I've been working with a client that's growing for a while, that I will s- charter a leadership development group mm-hmm. uh, because as that top tier of leadership needs to take on new responsibilities as the organization grows, they need someone to give some of their old responsibilities to, and they have to have a next layer. And so uh, developing that next, uh, the next layer is great and for a couple of reasons. One is it helps you retain your talent, right? Because people feel like you're investing in them and developing them, and that's good. Um, and the other is it, it um, can help you um, sort of delegate better um, and grow your own skills in your own career because now you have time to do other things. So I think I think that's important. But it's you know it's it's not um, it's very common I'll say for sort of first time or particularly um, early stage uh, business owners and leaders um, to really only understand the sort of the business of their business or the. You know, so yeah. right, but but to not have paid because we you know we don't come out of the womb knowing how to lead organizations at least most right. of us, and unless you've taken time and sort of a commitment to learn those things, how would you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so figuring out you know hey this might be a blind spot for me, and that I could achieve more if I paid more attention here. Um, it's often the way that I get the attention of those uh, senior leaders because they're definitely focused in, in achievement. Otherwise, they wouldn't be entrepreneurs, business owners, CEOs. Uh, you know, they're not they're not solely motivated by, say, uh, affiliation or power. It's about achievement and helping them see they can be better, bigger achievers. Um, they're al- almost always willing to focus and put a time and attention into that. Mm, that's really, really good. Um, what what a, a really an excellent point. I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna use that in the future because that's a really good point about focusing on the achievements as opposed to just simply kind of personal development. That right. um, you know let, let's focus on the achievements that they can that they can uh, have by developing those skills as right. opposed to the impact that it makes on these other things. That's really uh, that's a really good point. And, and so let's let's kind of take this on on the positive side. You know, we'll, we'll spin mm-hmm. this over to the positive side. So, when you have an opportunity to go and you're working with a company of high achievers of a high performing team, what are some of the traits that you see of high performing teams? What are those patterns um, that uh, that 
that maybe someone should be looking for to say, maybe, you know, we're kind of missing this pattern right now, but these are the common traits of high performing teams and, and what high performance really looks like. Yeah. Um, I love this question. In fact, this is a question that I ask my teams that I'm working with hmm. and um, let's, you know, be clear. I'm always working with people who are sort of going from good to great. Yeah. And we yeah. all wish we had that book title. Um, <laughs> but going from good to great. So there are people that are doing well, but know they need to do better in order to um, really fulfill the potential of the organization and their own potential. Um, and one of the things I know, um, and I actually recently released a book called No Dumbing Down, sort of a primer for CEOs on how to how to work um, on making sure their internal strategies support their external growth. Um, but the no dumbing down really is all about how do we how do we make sure that we have high performing teams because the team can only function at the level of its lowest performing member. Right. And so um, the rest of the team has to dumb down to that level. And it's not because the person is a bad person or you know, doesn't want to do well. Um, typically, it's someone who either doesn't have the skill or um, has a different set of priorities, maybe some different goals, maybe some resource constraints. Um, but whatever it is, it pulls the team down. And so um, you want to watch for that. I'd say that's definitely one thing. But I always have my teams do this activity where I ask them to talk about their best team experiences in their past. Mm-hmm. And what are the behaviors that made them the best teams? And I can, you know, I I think we all know from good teams that we've been on sort of what those are. Uh, but I, you know, 90% of the time I get exactly the same answers and there are things like we had complementary skills and it was, we knew how to deal with conflicts and we used appropriate decision-making. And when we got out of alignment, we had ways to adjust, right? We had, we were well-resourced, we were chartered, we knew what success looked like. Mm-hmm. We recognized that the team is a process, not just, you know, a moment, right? You have to keep working on the team. It's as much about how you do things as well as what you're getting done. Um, We had real effective leadership that helped us get clarity and helped us resolve issues. Um, And then another big thing just had to do with accountability, right? That people were clear about what their responsibilities were, although it was okay to color outside the lines there, but they're clear about their responsibilities and they were serious about their commitment and accountability to delivering back to their teammates. And and one other thing that people don't often bring up, but I always add because it's crucial, uh, and this is from a model that um, Katzenbach and Smith came up with, I think the book was called The Wisdom of Teams, The Discipline of Teams, something like that. Um, And they define this difference between an effective team and a high-performing team. Mm. But the real difference is that you care about the success of the other team members. This does not mean that you necessarily want to go have a beer with them, although that's always a good thing, I guess. Uh, But if you don't care about the success of your team members, the team won't be a success because if you're really a team, you're interdependent. Right. And if somebody on the team is not successful, you won't be successful in addition to the team not being successful. So I think that's a, that's a crucial piece that often people don't think of. Yeah, that's uh, you're right. That's, and that's a really good point. Um, and, and remembering that within the team, because I'm sure you see it all the time of amazing, talented people that just don't work well cohesively as a team. And sometimes that, you know, you could pick out an individual person, put them in a different team and they could work out really well, mm-hmm. or maybe a you know previous environment they were in, they were a great team member, but you bring them into this environment and for whatever reason, it doesn't work out. And uh, yeah, that accountability back to the team, um, you know, I believe that's how you're going to, 
propel forward. You know, that's what's really um, kind of helps uh, create that push as you continue to drive. And, you know, and so along those lines, um, you know, let's, let's say we've got a high performing team here and it's time for us to uh, get this push. And so one of the challenges that I often hear from business uh, owners, CEOs, entrepreneurs is the challenge of vision casting. Um, you know, oftentimes your entrepreneurs and your, your high level, uh, business leaders, they're, they have these visions that, you know, they're kind of great at, at creating a vision, uh, and saying, this is what could be, but it's oftentimes a challenge to figure out how do we implement that? And whether it's because we are changing or evolving as a company or even new CEO that has started the company and saying, I've got to get these 10, 20 or hundred people on board with what's, what's in my head and what can be. So what kind of process do you, uh, do you walk people through or do you recommend people work through and helping figure out how do we cast this vision? How do we get people on the same page so that we can all move towards a common goal? Yeah. Well, I would say uh, the first thing is to, to do it and do it frequently. Right. Um, And uh, the, um, I think it's important always when you're trying to explain the vision to someone is to start with the question, how will the person receiving this message how will they understand what it means to them specifically? Mm-hmm. Right. So what does it mean to me that, or what's in it for me? The whiffing question or it's what right. people always ask first. Uh, and often, you know, if you have a really compelling vision, that's what will draw people to your organization. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. But I've also seen a lot of organizations where people who came in drawn by the compelling vision were frustrated because they, they couldn't see how their actions or inactions would help propel that vision forward. So I think you have to draw a really clear connection between the action of every employee, no matter how new to the organization or how long they've been there, to the results that you're trying to get in the marketplace and to your customers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the things I think that draws people to, to young companies and to startups because yeah. everything you do or don't do, you can see a result of. Right. Um, and if you're not there, the rest of the organization, I can tell that something's not getting done that's critical. When companies get bigger, you often have sort of a flywheel effect where somebody just puts in a little effort, the flywheel keeps going. Um, and, you know, that's part of what makes large companies inefficient. Now, that can happen to small companies too, but it's more visible um, and often not tolerated as well. Um, so I think that's important, this drawing the line. Um, I think the idea of um, saying the vision in, uh, in presenting it in many different ways, because mm-hmm. um, you're, you're really selling that vision to your company as much as you're selling it uh, with, your, with your brand message outside the organization to your right. clients, potential clients. So you have to really focus on selling it internally as well. So you need to, you need to say it, you need to you need to write it down. You need to show examples of it. You need to have videos. You need to have customers come in. You, you know, you, you need to you need to share uh, in as many different ways as you can, so that people just get this layering of mm-hmm. what this vision actually means, so they can make it their own too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And and I know that sometimes can be a challenge. Um, you know, a real key comment in there. I think. I think oftentimes the challenge is we have this vision and we try to kind of present it out, but we know some people just don't get it. Some people don't understand it or whatever, but, um, 
you know, a really great point in there is just continue to say it, continue to mm-hmm. talk about it, continue to cast it because the way you may say it today may be slightly different than the way you say it tomorrow. And someone may understand it tomorrow in a way that they didn't understand it today. Um, or the more they hear, it may raise a question for them to say, okay, but so how is this going to work? And, I, and so just continuing to cast that and always make that kind of the fabric of the organization. Um, that's a really good point just to help help continually get that out. And I think the other thing it does is it helps even the leader craft that message better over and over and over again. As they continue to say it, it helps you kind of get that down in a, in a digestible format uh, in a way that you maybe can continue to pitch it, whether it's to investors or to potential clients or uh, potential employees, whomever it is. And so the more we talk about that vision, um, sometimes the better refined it becomes as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And asking for questions, right? Yeah. Ask people to tell you what it is they don't understand and look for patterns in, in that. That'll help you craft your message too. Yeah. Yeah. Really good point. Well, you know, one of the things that you talked about earlier um, is, you know, one of the regrets that a lot of leaders have is that they they didn't make the decision to, uh, to allow an employee to transition out mm-hmm. of the organization maybe soon enough. So that is a challenge. That's, that's a problem. It's it's a heartache. You know, it's such a difficult thing, especially whenever we've invested in someone or uh, we've built a relationship with them. And, um, but it is important and it's, it's critical to the success of any organization. There will come those times as your company grows that you've got to do that. Uh, so what are some keys and, and tips that you provide to people when uh, either in recognizing that it is time, but then once they do recognize and how to actually follow through with that process in a healthy way? Yeah. Well, healthy is a key word there. That's great. Um, So the first thing I think is just to stay current, right? Mm -hmm. Don't hoard feedback, positive or negative, uh, from the people that are working with you. Um, There's a uh, relatively recent book out by a woman named Kim Scott called Radical Candor that I'm a big fan of. Um, And she uses an example in her book, and I think we've all experienced this on one level or another. And that is that um, she fired someone and she gave him good on his feedback about why he was being let go. Uh, and by the way, that's often the only time we get really good on his feedback is when yeah. we're being let go. Right. Uh, and he said to her, why didn't you tell me this six months ago when I could do something about it? Yeah. Which, you know, she said was sort of a really sad statement, which I agree with, right? Because, oh yeah, if you told me six months ago, I could have maybe, cor- maybe corrected. Right. So staying current with feedback, I think is important. Um, I'm also a fan of um, sort of this tour of duty concept that Reed Hoffman um, of PayPal and LinkedIn fame mm-hmm. um, put out, which is that the CEO needs to have a conversation with the employees one-on-one, maybe once a year, and talk about what is it that the employee wants from the organization mm-hmm. in terms of development over the next year, and what does the organization need from the employee. So that you're you're really making an alliance. That's actually the name of his book, right? The Alliance. Really making an alliance with the employee um, about what's going to happen over the next year. And that's different from just what are the goals that you know you're going to achieve in terms of um, the function of your job. But it's it's also focused on development. Um, and yeah. I think that's uh, that's a really key thing as well. Um, other than that, um, you know, this, this sort of the staying current, making sure that you're aligned. If you do those two things, uh, you'll be way ahead of the game that uh, most organizations have. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think one of the things that, that I see as well is a lack of feedback, consistent mm-hmm. feedback and um, to be done in a loving, but yet a very direct way. And, um, 
and you know, the thing that I think also we've got to remember as business leaders is that sometimes the most loving thing you can do for someone is to set them free. Um, because generally, if you aren't happy with them in the organization, there's a really good chance they're not happy in the organization either. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if we've done our, our job as leaders to set those proper expectations and make sure we're clearly defining those and we're talking through those things, um, you know, if people aren't meeting those expectations, and especially if they have traditionally been a high achiever, they aren't real happy either. And, uh, and so sometimes one of the most loving things we can do is let them know that, that, uh, that their tour with our company has come to an end and it's time to, uh, to look at a transition. And, and I've talked to so many people that, um, you know, that will cite one of the biggest blessings in their life was when they lost a job or when a company downsized or, you know, something like that happened because it does sort of force you into a situation that maybe you otherwise wouldn't have gone into. And um, uh, I think that, that, that CEOs, need to understand that, that it's, that it can be a benefit and they won't always necessarily see it right then and you won't either. But if you've done your job on the front end, it should not come as a surprise when it's time to make that transition either. Yep. And you know, it's hard to let someone go. And frankly, it should be, should be right. I don't, I don't, I don't want it to be easy to be, to let someone go. I had to fire a third of my staff at one point. It was a horrible day. Um, And I'm glad that it was a horrible day. I'm glad that I I was empathetic enough for that to impact me too. Right. Um, I I think the other question that CEOs have to ask themselves is, do I have time to develop this person? Right. Mm. There's the, you know, do they want to develop? But if they do want to develop, do you have time to develop them as your company grows? And if you do have time, great. Then if you've got sort of the person with the right mindset and the right social skills and all that, Mm -hmm. then develop them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem often occurs when the company is growing so fast that you don't have time to develop the person right. and there's no other role that you can put them in or that they're, they're willing to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's when it's often time to part ways. Yeah. And so Karen, what's your opinion on, uh, you know, you've got the right person and then the wrong seat, whether because the organization has just grown rapidly and, and that has happened kind of naturally mm-hmm. over time, um, or they were brought in with certain expectations. You come to find out and eh, they're just not hitting the mark there, but they're the right person culturally for the organization, they're just in the wrong seat. Um, what's your opinion on uh, transitioning them within the organization, trying to retain them within the organization that moved them somewhere else. Um, that a good decision? Is it a bad decision? And how do you do that in, in a, you know, in a, in a good, healthy way? Yeah. So um, it's often the reverse that occurs. Right? Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if, you have the, if you have a good cultural fit, but they don't have the, the skills needed in the job they're in, they're the functional skills. Right. Um, absolutely. Sort of what are their interests? What are some other things that they could do that there's a need for in the organization? I think it's important to put them into a position where they have people around them that, that know how to do the new thing. Mm-hmm. So that they can learn from um, from others without a big risk of failure. Right. So I think I think that's really important. Um, if you're if you're the reverse, right? If you have someone who's really good functionally but not a culture fit, that's a much easier decision because yeah. um, um, I time after time have seen and. and I could tell stories if you have time for that. Um, have seen people who are you know like uh, technical geniuses. Yeah and um, savants almost, uh, right. but just had such poor social skills or regard for social skills, really, mm-hmm. uh, that the organization had to work around them. 
mm-hmm. and ended up working around them in such a way that um, it sucked a lot of energy and potential out of the organization. And always they're eventually let go. And everyone yeah. has a sigh of relief. And even if the next person who comes in is not quite so technically brilliant, the outcome is always better. Yeah. And do you find that when that happens, when you're in a situation mm-hmm. like that, one of the excuses, I'm just going to put it as that, one of the excuses that leaders will use is, well, we are, um, we're so busy right now. We've got so much on our plate. We've got so much happening that, you know, I can't do this to everybody else. You know, even though this person, um, you know, creates some challenge and conflict, it's better to have somebody in this role and nobody in this role. And, uh, and so they, they hold on to that using the excuse that we're so busy, we can't afford to have them not here. Do you generally, do you find that most people on those teams would prefer to take on the extra work and responsibility that's needed to not have that poor cultural fit in place than to keep them in place knowing the challenges that they create in the organization? Yeah. Uh, I would ask the, ask, the, ask the CEO how much of the busyness is caused by the rework yeah. Uh, and the lack of trust between the rest of your team is person. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to wake up tomorrow and let the person go. Right. Go find someone else to do that job, right? And then and then make that transition. Um, these are rarely cases where you have to do something like in the moment. Right. Uh, but I, I, a lot of um, a lot of the busyness in the organization will come from the workarounds that they're having to do. And people, you know, the other thing that happens when you, when you make those sort of tough decisions as a leader is that people see it, right? They see that when you say, Hey, we're going to work this way. This is the culture we want. Mm -hmm. These are the behaviors we want in our organization. And then you allow something else. Yeah. In fact, you even seem like you're rewarded if it's a senior leader in the organization. Right. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, that does a lot of damage to your organization in other ways that have nothing to do with the, the function that that person is in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's, that's exactly right. Um, when we make the decision to bend on our core values uh, for one person, then what we're really telling our team is that our core values aren't really that core to us. Okay. And um, and people will continue to um, to then push those limits, and we're letting them know this is the norm, and we are okay with this, uh, as long as as long as you're you know really good salesperson, you don't have to follow these rules, or as long okay. as you're really good in technology, you don't have to follow these rules, and um, uh, and then you know we continue to bend and bend, and then we look back at our organization and say, well, that's really not what I was trying to create, and um, and it's because we've we've allowed too much flexibility in some of those areas that just wasn't healthy. I, I agree completely. Yeah. Um, well, Karen, this has been great. Tell us, um, uh, I know you'd mentioned the book. How can we uh, learn more about that? How can we get to that? Learn more about some of the things that you're doing and how you're helping people out there. Yeah. Yeah. So the book is called No Dumbing Down. It's really a primer for CEOs. It's a no-nonsense guide on organization growth. So um, I like to think of it as the what the CEO and the senior team need to pay particular attention to that's internal to the organization that will help you deliver on the promise that you made your customers. Yeah. which is sales, right? So once once you get that sale, how do you make sure that internally you're able to fulfill that? Yeah. Um, and it's particularly difficult, I think, for high-growth organizations. This book can also be read by people who are not senior leaders, but um, who are developing leaders or who are just interested in sort of what's most important. It draws both on my compact experience, of course, yeah. uh, but the, the many organizations I've worked with over the last two decades. So No Dumbing Down, you can find that at nodumbingdown.com. You can go to any place online where you would buy a book uh, and order it from there. 
we'll leave those yeah. names unsaid. Uh, and then my my website is just uh, karenwalker.us. Yeah. And uh, on all the social medias, I'm uh, Karen Walker US. Uh, and then I, uh, in addition to the book, I'm also speaking fairly frequently, so I'm, a, I'm available to speak. But uh, one place you could catch me um, this summer is at the Startup Festival in Montreal. Oh, I've got 7,000 people there, so that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and then um, I'm speaking at another tech conference in San Francisco this month. And um, so, um, you know, you can also, if you're in a place where I'm speaking, uh, that would be another way to, to connect. And, yeah. Absolutely. Well, very good. Yeah. Be sure to go check out that website, karenwalker.us um, and just, you know, get some more information. There's some good, just, there's just some great information on there. And then obviously find out uh, where she's going to be, check out some of the blogs and the information that she's got out there for you. And um, Karen, thank you so much. I mean, this is just, I know we unpacked a lot today, but uh, really good, valuable information. And, and thank you so much for taking the experience that you have and sharing that with others um, in a way that we can help the business community out there. And again, make Feel, people feel like they're not alone. Uh, others have been through it. And how can we leverage the knowledge of, of people like you? So thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks, Kyle. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us on the Employer Blueprint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show to receive the latest episodes. For more information on how Employer Blueprint can help build great teams in your business, visit employerblueprint.com. Or to inquire about Kyle speaking at your next event, visit kylegorman.com. And until next time, make it a great day. Yeah.